0: Welcome to the Weekly Skeptic episode 76. I'm Nick Dixon here with the creator of Web January, Toby Young. Coming up, Alexei Navalny sadly and mysteriously dies in prison. The Tories lose bigly in two by-elections and Sadiq Khan turns the frickin' trains woke plus peak woke and extra content for our s- subscribers on basedmedia.org. But Toby, you're in front of some spooky books. It looks like Ghostbusters 2 or something. What are you up to? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm actually in um, the Apollo room at the Spectator. Um, a friend of mine um, was um, made a life peer in Liz Truss's um, honours list. And uh, and he was introduced into the House of Lords today. So I went along to see him being introduced. And then there was a kind of tea party in the Chumley room afterwards. And then I rushed over here. It's just around the corner.
0: That's very Toby. And were you, did you feel a pang of regret that you were not being inducted into the House of Lords or whatever it's called.
1: I I saw it more like a dress rehearsal, Nick. Um, So now I'll be be fully prepared when it inevitably happens.
0: Just a matter of time, (laughs) my precious. Um, Okay, cool. So we're going to do our best to smash through this. Thank you for everyone that came to Weekly Skeptic Live. I was doing my best a bit ill, still not sure what's going on. But I have also quit Coke Zero for um, Lent. So maybe a lower energy podcast. I don't know because I've never known what it's like to live without Coke Zero since it was invented. So I, I picked the hardest possible thing for me to give up. Anyone will, who knows me knows I get through about 10 cans a day. So I've given it up for Lent and we're just seeing how it goes. And I just want to show Toby how you give up something and just shame him really. By, yeah. <laughs> cause he, <I> mean, <laughs> how's, how's the alcohol going?
1: Um, yeah, not, not great. Um, I, I, my, my plan was to not drink at all. Well, I initially started out uh, not wanting to drink until the end of Lent, from the beginning of January until the end of Lent. And um, and then I kind of scaled that back in my head to just January. And then on something like the 6th or the 7th of January, I fell off the wagon um, and it's been downhill ever since. But uh, my, I, I, my plan um, over the year was to drink mo- no more than 100 bottles of wine. And um, and I'm making a daily log of how many bottles of wine I drink, and um, uh, and I think I'm I'm approaching for, for th- a third at least of my annual allocation. And We're not even out of February, so it's not looking great.
0: <laughs> Shocking stuff. Toby, you just need to copy me. You just you just need to be you need to be a proper Christian. That's how you do. It. Every time I think about having a Coke Zero, I just think, what would Jesus do? He's in the desert. Satan's tempting him with loaves of bread and political power and the glory of all the world and the mountains and all this kind of stuff and he's just like no and he's he's rejecting him and so i just think if i can't not drink coke zero for six days this is this is why you lack you lack a ah so you're taking
1: you're taking advantage of the sunday loophole are you so you'll be able to drink coke zero on sundays
0: no i didn't know that was a thing
1: well, you said for six days. Um, oh
0: no, I just said that I've. It's been. Last, it's lasted about that long oh, so it, I see far. It's isn't been it, six days. Lent.
1: Yeah, no, it is a thing. some people who like give up alcohol for Lent um, uh, allow themselves to drink on Sundays, so actually they only have to give it up six days a week. It's like uh, some mm. kind of theological rationale for it. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> it a, bit a, bit a bit weak mad. to me. No, I'm not going <laughs> to do that,
0: and I'm not drinking alcohol either. But that's like a, that's not even half of me. That's that's not even on worry. So I'm just I'm doing your wet january i'm doing your dry january length thing effortlessly and i'm doing the coke zero that actually hurts as well anyway not to big myself up (laughs) but i'm only doing it with the guidance of the lord so um all right well let's crack on with the old stories then before anyone shouts at me that i'm talking about irrelevant stuff so the tories lost a couple of big by-elections in wellingborough and kingswood and Wellingborough was interesting because they still wouldn't have won with the reform votes, actually. Labour got 13,844, Tories 7,408, Reform 3,919. And I've done the math and uh, they still wouldn't have got it even with the reform vote. But the big takeaway was that there was almost 25,000 fewer Tory votes than last time, I believe. I think that's what the little brackets are with the minus, isn't it? And um, so the main takeaway was that 20,000 previous Tory voters just sat at home and said, hmm. We're not going to bother with you guys. But they didn't flock to Labour. They didn't even flock to reform for the most part. So I think that was the real takeaway. Then Kingswood, we can also get into, but Kingswood, the Tories would have scraped it with a a reform, with the reform vote. Labour got 11,151, Tories 8,675, reform 2,578. So, and I'm doing all, all this from memory like Rain Man. No, I'm not. But So they would have just scraped it there. But the the sort of main takeaway I was hearing was that it wasn't a massive victory for reform or in a way really Labour. It was more just that the Tory voters are just disgusted. What do you think?
1: Yeah, um, it felt more like a protest vote rather than a vote for the Labour candidates. I was hoping that Ben Habib, the Reform Party candidate in Wellingborough, um, would come second, knocking the Tories into third place. And I'll tell you why. It's because um, I think one one slither of hope to prevent a Labour landslide would be some kind of tactical voting alliance between reform and the Tories. Now, pie in the sky, but what would make it, you know, in order to get to kind of first base in putting together some kind of tactical voting alliance, you need to identify some seats in which reform have a better chance of winning than the Tories. So then the deal is, if the Tories stand down their candidates in those seats, then reform won't oppose the Tory candidates in seats where the Tories have the best chance of winning. But unfortunately, the reason it's really hard to get anything like that off the ground is because in no single constituency in the whole of the UK, is reform in a better place than, le- uh, the, the, than the Tories. In every single case, reform are behind the Tories. So I was hoping we could point to Wellenborough and say, well, if the Tories stand down in Wellenborough, how many seats will reform then stand down in to give the Tory party candidate the best possible chance? But unfortunately, they didn't come. Come second, they came third. So I think it's going to be very difficult to interest either party in a deal along those lines. Maybe if uh, if if, uh, and I don't think Rishi Sunak, of course, would be interested anyway. Even if there were some seats in which the Tories were, you know, uh, in a worse position than than Reform. Um, But you know, his successor might be interested, and that could be part of their kind of platform, their, their their sort of leadership platform. I'll do a deal with Reform. We'll shoot the Reform Fox. We'll make sure we reduce the labour etc but yeah it doesn't look like that's going to be possible
0: but isn't the other issue without the fact that farage would never do that again after doing that in the past and then some people feeling betrayed and him feeling that it didn't work out for them they stood aside for the tories and then they didn't get the brexit they wanted and and so on and it, it wasn't that the general vibe behind that
1: yes um uh yeah Last time, um, the Brexit Party wasn't offered anything in return for not opposing conservatives, um, you know, in in various seats. Um, And that's part of why, you know, Farage is now kind of quite cross. You know, I I effectively gave the Tory party this gift um, of uh, an 80 seat majority and look how they've squandered it never again. But this wouldn't be a gift. Um, the idea is this would be a deal. The reform would get something in return. I think I think it would be harder actually to persuade the Tories to do it than to persuade reform to do it. I mean, given that reform are unlikely to win a single seat, um, if the Tories stood down in, say, five seats, giving them the best possible chance of winning, um, then they might agree not to oppose the Tories in the remainder of those seats, because at least then they'd have a shot at winning six seats. But uh, okay. yeah, I, I, it's unlikely.
0: The other angle I saw was this um, in the Express, start warning for Labour that Reform UK could wreck Starmer's dream of a majority. This came from uh, Labour Together think tank. And they have this scenario where the the reform vote collapses and that ends up with a hung parliament. So they said... Um, a third estimate, estimates that there'll be a hung parliament if support for a form UK collapses, either due to Rishi Sunak delivering on the small boats or the party stepping aside for the Tories. So if so you've sort of said, yeah, if they step down, but they, if, if for some reason it collapsed, then you end up, well, in this projection, Labour would have 312 seats, which is a 14 short of a majority. So that's right. interesting. They're, they're trying to not, not be complacent. Um, but to me, the, the, the takeaway is if all these 20,000 Tory voters suddenly didn't show up, it suggests to me that they, they didn't show up but they didn't vote for someone else. It suggests to me they're waiting to see, and that actually does give the Tories an opportunity, even though they don't really deserve one, to rescue yes. it before the election. Yeah. Because they're like, yeah. right, we're not gonna vote for you, but you know, let's see what you do before the election. They, what do they call soft switches? Some of these mm. soft switches who could mm. switch back. I think oh, that might be the wrong term for the, the stay-at-homes, but whatever. You've got the yeah. stay-at-homes, you've got the soft switches. But but what are the Tories gonna do? Are they gonna take that up? Because that means they could suddenly, if they did get rid of Rishi, or if Rishi did something very bold, I think they could win them back still. But I don't think they will do anything to win them back.
1: Yes, I mean I I, I think, yeah, that they they, they 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 don't seem the people who are sitting on their hands don't seem inclined to get off their hands and vote Labour during the general election, as you say. Um, they'll either stay at home or it might be possible to persuade them to actually vote and vote, vote conservative. Um, and one of the ways in which, you know, Tim, Team Rushi are going to try and do that is by um, scaring people. You know, they're going to say, you know, Starmer's actually uh, poses a real danger to the country, poses a danger to our national security. He's weak. Um, foreign bad actors will take advantage of our weak prime minister. The economy will suffer back to square one, et cetera. This will be the kind of, this will be the theme of the Conservative general election campaign, all those stay at home, complacent, sit on their hands, voters who voted Tory last time, get up off your asses, vote Tory again to avoid the disaster that will be a Starmer premiership. I'm not sure that that'll work, but um, something like that might work better. And the people might be willing to get out and vote for a Tory. if they change leaders between now um, and the general election. And there has been a bit of speculation about that. Um, uh, Kemi's been in the news this week um, because she's been clashing with, what's he called, Henry Staunton, the um, chairman of the post office, whom she uh, got rid of. Um, And uh, when she got rid of him, um, he then seemingly... Um, took revenge by giving this story to the Sunday Times on Sunday, in which he said that she said to him when she got rid of him, someone's got to take the rap for the Horizon scandal, as though it was through no fault of his own. They just needed a fall guy. Um, And uh, he also said that um, he'd been advised by the Secretary of State to um, delay concluding some kind of compensation scheme with the sub-postmasters so the Tories could limp into the next general election without that liability um, being hung around their necks, which doesn't really make much sense because how big a liability is it really going to be in the grand scheme of things? Um, But, um, Kemi... Came out fighting, and um, said that this was absolute nonsense. This was a farrago of lies, and it looks like um, he's now going to sue her because she didn't just say this in the House of Commons. She also said it on Twitter on Sunday night after the, uh, or sorry, Saturday night when the uh, Sunday Times story broke. I think anyway, um, and so that, that that that's rumbling on, and people are describing this as Kemi's biggest test to date. Um, you know, she's she's this guy's really challenged her um, and um, doesn't look like he's going to let this go. And she's not going to let it go either. She's gone all in on this. Um, so it's quite dramatic. But I think that it's pro- that, that, that um, she will probably prevail. I mean, even if he does sue her, how bad for it does it look? She's being sued by this fat cat who, uh, you know, she fired because she's concerned about the sub postmasters. She can position herself, I think, as being on their side in contrast to him, or at least that's how she'll try and play it. So um, I think it's probably politically quite a smart move. Um, It's interesting that, um, you know, that uh, there's been, you haven't heard much about more letters going in or There hasn't been kind of feverish speculation about a successor to Rishi in spite of the by-election losses. Um, It feels like the plotters are kind of biding their time, regrouping, preparing to strike, but didn't think this was the right moment to strike.
0: Yeah, it's funny how different our politics is to America. It's like Trump's getting sued for 400 million and might end up in jail, but Kemi's getting sued by the post office. It just seems seems quite quaint in comparison, though, like you say, it is a big test for her. The other thing is the Tories might face a Blackpool by-election because Scott Benton has lost his suspension appeal. This was about that gambling scandal. And uh, so they might have another by-election to face. And then, of course, Labour have got the Rochdale problem where they have withdrawn since our last episode that support that as our Ali guy finally. They did it reluctantly, but they did do it. So there's more by-election chaos coming up. What do you think? I mean, that happened. the Tories could lose yeah, Blackpool. That happened. South Ju- Blackpool.
1: Yeah. yeah, that happened during our last episode, didn't it? We were kind of um, ambushed by the news that um, Keir Starmer had decided um, after initially supporting the Labour candidate in Rochdale to withdraw Labour support, even though he'll still be standing as the official Labour candidate. Um, it'll be interesting. I think um, re- uh, Keir Starmer must be hoping that uh, unsavoury, though, the Labour candidate in Rochdale is, he won't be beaten by George Galloway, because that could create a bit of momentum behind George Galloway's new political party and attract some of the traditional Muslim Labour voters who are unhappy about Labour's stance over the Israel-Palestine conflict, although Keir Starmer is also shifting um, on that particular issue. And it looks as though the SNP have tabled another call for a ceasefire, and it looks as though... Kier Starmer may be preparing the ground uh, for supporting that motion, um, uh, which would be a complete U-turn on his previously, I thought, impressive, steadfast pro-Israeli position. But it's obviously terrified that they're bleeding support to candidates like George Galloway. And there are all these kind of... George Galloway's party is one of seemingly about half a dozen um, trying to cash in on the Muslim disillusionment with Labour. Um, uh, but it looks as though, you know, um, a typical spineless, slippery, snake-like politician, Keir is going to actually do a volt fast on that issue and um, align himself with the pro-Palestinian protesters, seemingly.
0: Spineless Starmer. That's what Trump <laughs> might call him. Boring spineless Starmer. Folks, he's so boring. Any spineless. I'd have to pick one of those. Spineless Starmer's quite good, though, isn't it?
1: Not bad. Spineless
0: not bad. Starmer, yeah. folks. They say he has yeah. no Spine. Um. Yeah. I mean. It, I mean. He's he inevitably is going to fall on that. I mean. David Cameron. I saw this depressing thing that David Cameron has outflanked him from the left, which is something that David Cameron has been doing for a long time with the Tories. He's basically Blair blaring. It's so depressing. But imagine like outflank like, because he was he was all he was going on about a ceasefire early on. He saw where that was going quite early and just went full ceasefire already, didn't he? And Starmer's done it later because of, of course he doesn't want to be called anti-Semitic amongst other reasons. But he inevitably, yeah, he inevitably will be anyway. But and it's very depressing all that and on the candidate thing wes streeting even put out an apology saying i'm sorry there are no good candidates in rochdale so that's really hanging your candidate out to dry. but they they had to do it you know because they've got these awful people but yeah he just said sorry we haven't got a good candidate I mean, imagine going into it like that if he if he still wins that shows that labor really can't do any wrong at the moment people are just gonna vote for them whatever if you've got a candidate who's shared an anti-semitic conspiracy theory and the actual big people in the party have said, I'm sorry, he's awful and crap. Don't vote for this guy. If he still, imagine if he still wins. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I think he could still win. Um, I think he's probably more likely to win than George Galloway. Uh, George Galloway, you know, is running as an independent. But he has won before running as an independent, but um, his star, I think, is fading a little bit. I don't know if you've ever watched George Galloway on one of his kind of obscure TV channels where he's sort of a chat show host or talk show host, but um, he's not the kind of um, firebrand he once was. He's, um, you know, he's uh, he must be approaching 80 by now. And, um, you know, um, he, I thought he was, when I watched him, by mistake, I just stumbled across him on the dial one, one night quite late, and I just thought he was really unimpressive.
0: Okay. Well, I've never quite understood Galway. He's an impressive speaker, Wears a where's a nice hat, but I've never quite understood why, why, where he's coming from or what the point of it is. Sort of a radical lefty, but aligned strongly with Islam. I've never really quite understood the offering. He had that famous moment calling out the Iraq War, which was quite good. So he can be an impressive orator, but I don't, or orator depending on your proclivities. But what 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 is the kind of idea of Galloway? He's just a sort of far left firebrand iconoclast?
1: Yeah, I think he's. I think well, I think he's always been. He's always bought into that kind of um, that particular strand of socialist uh, internationalism, um, which uh, sees um, oppressed peoples making common cause the world over, whether it be in apartheid South Africa, in present day Gaza, in disadvantaged working class communities like Rochdale, sees it as part of a kind of an international coalition of the oppressed, kind of waging war on capitalism. And so he feels there is this kind of natural alliance to be made with um, uh, Islamists um, and, you know, the white working class. uh, and uh, same same sort of political stance, I guess, as um, as, as Jeremy Corbyn. Um, and also the same coalition that sprung up in opposition to the Iraq war. I think that was really, uh, George Galloway was opposed to the war. He was ejected from the Labour Party and he decided to take his revenge by standing, I think, in Bethnal Green um, on an anti-war platform, a pro-Islam platform and, uh, and duly won. So it's worked with him before and he, you know, He's obviously just uh, singing from the same hymn sheet and hoping it'll work for him again. It worked for him in, in, in I think, Hill Head as well. So, you know, it's worked for him three This will be the third time uh, if it works again. But but uh, last time we tried it, it didn't work.
0: Okay, and the only difference between uh, him and Corbin is that he has a strangely cozy relationship with Andrew Neil, which is what I always find strange. But it must be a Scottish thing, some sort of yeah, Scottish I've thing. I don't understand. Never quite understood that
1: either. Yeah, old <laughs> drinking buddies. <yeah. laughs>
0: Yeah, but I think you're a spectator, so we don't want to say anything bad about about Mr. Neil, case he comes and gets you. But let's do this I related might walk story. Through the to... door in a second. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. It can all kick off very easily. Um, let's do this related story. GB News investigated over pro-Tory bias in Sunak Q&A. So we had this Sunak Q&A. It was quite strange. I had to like tease it on headliners and do like a... everyone was quite impressed how professionally I did it. They've not been listening to this podcast presumably, but I just nailed the introduction. We had to introduce it and tease it, and it was it was Sunak doing this Q&A, and then it happened, and it was. The thing that made most headlines was the the vaccine-injured person sort of shouting at him, you've ruined my life sort of thing. I did, I'm paraphrasing, but it was along those lines. And, of course, I have massive sympathy for the vaccine-injured. I, obviously, I didn't take it. No one on this podcast took it. But it's um, – and I felt for the guy, but it was it was an awkward moment. Some people said this has backfired for Sunak, which we can discuss, but it also backfired in the sense that there were 500 complaints about this People's Forum from – sad people at home and activists, presumably. And uh, Sunak said he didn't regret taking part in it, but it's another offcom investigation. I mean, is there anything wrong? I don't really see what's wrong with it. You you have debates all the time with the prime minister. You have all sorts of uh, forums where the, the prime minister sort of faces questions on a mainstream news channel. I don't, I don't really see the problem at all. I don't see why there's bias. I mean, you saw how... how He didn't come out of it that well. It was was grilled on some very uncomfortable topics. So Mm. it wasn't a sort of uh, bias, sort of puff piece. So I don't really see the problem.
1: Yeah, it was... was, I don't know why it attracted 500 complaints. It was... Because all the clips I saw, I didn't actually watch it, but all the clips I saw uh, were of him kind of, uh, you know, being made very uncomfortable by very difficult questions that he clearly hadn't anticipated um, from members of the audience, including from the gentleman who was injured by the vaccine. And there was someone else in the audience who also seemed to have been injured by the vaccine, complaining about the inadequate compensation scheme. He was completely wrong-footed by that. And it was also, the way it was shot wasn't particularly flattering to Sunak. I mean, it was all shot from behind. So you just see the back of his head. He was wearing this kind of dazzling white shirt. You could see the mic tucked into his rear pocket. Um, But, uh, you know, there were 100 undecided voters. It wasn't like, um, you know, an audience full of Tory plants. Um, uh, and I thought they gave him a reasonably rough time. I didn't think it was any more kind of pro-Tory than a typical grilling that, you know, leaders get on the BBC or Sky or ITV. So it was a bizarre. Maybe it was um, Labour Party um, apparatchiks making the vast majority of the complaints, trying to um, tee up an excuse or give give Ofcom an excuse to shut down GB News if... Uh, Uh, Labour win the next general election. Um, uh, There were five five complaints now been upheld by Ofcom against GB News, including over GB News's um, Keep Cash campaign. I mean, I don't know why Ofcom upheld a complaint about that. I mean, it's not as if GB News is alone in campaigning for things. Um, You know, uh, I I complained to Ofcom um, a couple of years ago, me and um, Laura Dodsworth submitted a complaint to Ofcom because Sky News, in collaboration with the Nudge Unit, which at that stage was part of the uh, cabinet office, part of the UK government, uh, was promoting a kind of uh, climate change agenda. And they were urging other broadcasters to embed kind of Um, support for net zero and other kind of climate alarmist policy stuff um, in their programming content, even in their drama content. So let's have, you know, let's have um, the heroes of drama series driving EVs instead of, uh, you know, petrol Land Rovers. Um, It was just like, it was like literally urging broadcasters to include subliminal messages in their content to get people to side with what was then, you know, what still is a uk conservative government policy so we complained to ofcom and said this is a breach of the broadcasting code and they gave us very very short shrift didn't consider it seriously at all and yet someone complained about gb news is apparently much less you know partisan let's keep cash campaign and the complaint was upheld
0: madness i know and the fact that lewis shapers had no complaint upheld is is a, is <laughs> truly stunning but um he did a good one the other day. We were talking about macaque monkeys, and he just goes, let, let me tell you about macaque. And it was, a, it was a great moment, actually. It was one of his best jokes, to be honest. One of his only proper structured jokes. But um, I, that did seem to disappear, some people said, from the YouTube repeat. But so far, no Ofcom complaints. I'm amazed I haven't had any either, but um, or Leo. But I mean, I'm quite careful. But yes, I mean, they do seem to target GB. I think, I'm not sure if it's Ofcom's fault or just the fact that they get so many complaints that they have to investigate a certain number. And I suppose percentage-wise, a certain number get upheld. But it does seem... Yeah, it's it, they're targeted as you say. It's no doubt the Matthew Suites, the Otto Englishes. I'm not saying they've literally done it. The Carol Wardamans. It's these online campaigns, isn't it, to get to get to people because there's nothing wrong with that people's forum. And I just want to shout out the hard-working GB people who do their best with a low budget because you said that you know that it was shot badly. I feel bad about you know my employers there. You know, <laughs> you only had one camera.
1: One yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know why that vision. was.
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, I'm 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 sure it was shot brilliantly, but. Yes, he didn't come out of it that well, and he said he d- he didn't regret it. But I, s- I suspect he probably did a bit. And um yeah, but it's so strange. But he can't really win, can he? Because then you still get complaints about it. Yeah, I suppose Richie's got to do something. He thinks well, these are these are people that could vote for me, but how many GB News viewers will vote Tory still at this point? Mm, I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. There was there was um the only bit of kind of um, plotter activity. I detected since we last recorded was um, a a poll. Another poll uh, was published showing that um, eight out of 10 formatory voters thought the party would have a better chance of winning the election with a leader who embraces traditional conservative values, i.e. not Rishi Sunak. And um, it was commissioned by Lady McAlpine um, and got a fair amount of coverage. And Lord Moylan, the Tory peer, said the party only had one path to victory and it involved getting rid of Rishi Sunak and adopting proper red-blooded conservative policies. It was quite a large sample, 13,534 British adults. Um, It gave Labour a 22-point lead. Um, But it was, yeah, clear pathway to victory. Dump sunak and put someone properly conservative in his place and he might have a chance of getting those people to get up off their hands and vote tory on election day
0: yeah i still think they could with a different leader i i didn't think they would change leader i still don't think they will but looking at that by election i really think they they do have to but it's, it's unfortunate for Sunak because he's i mean i there's not much sympathy left for the tories of course but he he probably is fairly conservative in his in his instincts. He probably is more conservative than he appears. But they need someone who appears conservative at this point. I mean, he's got Hunt in there, which is a problem. He's got Cameron in there, which is a problem. So of course he looks like a wet. I'm not sure he necessarily is in his in his beliefs, but he just seems like a managerial Blairite wet type. Even if he's not, and and, and whether he can achieve anything conservative is is a question. So it perhaps doesn't even matter how he seems. But yeah, if they brought in someone a Truss or even a, or a Boris or you know, a, a Kemi or any number of other people, not Penny, which would be a disaster. There's any number of people that would seem more conservative, even if they, I mean, was, is Boris more conservative than Sunak? I mean, I don't think he is, but he would, somehow yeah. would seem like he is or more yes. populist somehow.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, but he didn't actually do anything um uh, that was noticeably more conservative than any, I mean, he, he, he got Brexit done, I suppose, Um but then you know, Rishi Sunak might have got Brexit done too. He voted for Brexit. um, And it was pretty much inevitable that whoever won the 2019 election was going to get Brexit done uh, insofar as Boris did. Um, But uh, yeah, apart from that, I can't think of a single thing that Boris did uh, that was, in my view, you know, a properly conservative piece of legislation. Um, I mean, Rishi's big problem is the small boats and his inability to do anything about them. Um, uh, someone did. Someone did throw a spanner into the works. My plan was to, you know. Uh, I have this fantasy that he'll be replaced by Kemi Badenoch in a coronation, and she'll then uh, quickly corner a snap election on the single issue of whether to take Britain out of the European Convention on Human Rights, Um, because only if we do that can we get rid of the small boats. But someone pointed out that apparently the Rwandans have said, uh, if you withdraw from the convention, then we're not going to take Um, any um, uh, of your asylum seekers and process them in Rwanda. So uh, if they did withdraw from the convention, that wouldn't necessarily enable planes to take off, to take asylum seekers to Rwanda. Um, They'd have to, I don't know, take them somewhere else. Um, But so it sort of makes it slightly more complicated.
0: Okay. Well, that, that story is fairly serious. So maybe we'll move on to a more... Sort of funny story. Well, it's still awful. It's the woke overground lines. But Toby, first, do you want to quickly do our first advert today?
1: Yeah. So this is an ad from um, uh, the Mighty Thor. And um, uh, so some say they miss Thor's bad jokes. So here's a joke. How do you punish a narcissist? Stop voting for them. Narcissists hate being ignored. Instead of feeding the narcissist politicians' three Ds, defensiveness, dismissiveness, and dominance, by acknowledging the mess they make with your precious attention, take one of Thor's coaching sessions, which focus on areas you can control, using, among other things, the three Ds of business storytelling, detail, description, and dialogue. Thor can help you build stronger presentations, pitches, speeches, and tell a confident self-story m a specialist Jonathan says, Thor gave me a new paradigm of communication and the confidence to make the most of my experiences. The situation that I, was left, that I was left in with a difficult internal narrative when looking for a job post-COVID, Thor was able to give me a framework for thinking about how to answer questions, to tease the important details relevant to my circumstances, and give me the confidence that my values and experience were not only relevant, but in demand and useful." I am now consistently able to speak in a way that makes an impact and inspires others. Read 84 similar recommendations on Thor's LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash in slash Thor Holt, or to swap bad jokes, contact Thor on WhatsApp on plus 4407906321593. That's plus 4407906321593. And The details of how to contact Thor will of course be below the podcast on your favorite podcasting app.
0: All right, thank you to Thor. Now let's go on to this next story, which is Sadiq Khan's woke overground lines. So I'm sure you've seen it. Sadiq Khan has renamed these six lines, and he's got the Liberty line, the Lioness line, the Mildmay line, the suffragette, weaver and windrush lines, and it's just a kind of open provocation to the good people of this country. And it's cost about $6.3 they reckon. And you think, where are these names even from? Lioness is pretty obvious. We all know that's women's football, the Sadiq, Sadiq's uh, sacred thing that he, we all have to worship. You have, if, famously, if you don't like women's football, you get called mate and you get put in prison immediately. And um, there's a whole video campaign about it. And the Liberty line, I was like, what's that about? Well, it's about general independence and liberty, but it's also about the independence of havering, apparently. It was quite obscure. Uh, Mild May is to do with a small charitable hospital in Shoreditch which played an important role during the HIV-AIDS crisis in the 1980s. So you've got a sort of aids line in there. You've got the suffragettes, of course, violent terrorists. You've got the weaver, which is the textile industry and it goes through certain textile places. And you've got Windrush, which of course we all know about, and that goes through certain Windrushy places. So they're all related to the places they go through, but they're all about as woke as could possibly be. And um, I mean, look, I suppose, look, you've got liberty. I guess who can argue with liberty? But then you've got women's football, AIDS, feminism, textiles and
1: immigration, basically. I mean, is that about right? That's about right. It's, uh, it is quite shocking because, um, you know, it's like is no space. Are there no public amenities that um, are untouched now by politics? And, you know, you think there'd be, I mean, you know, by convention, We don't kind of take the opportunity to kind of, um, you know, um, uh, splash our political we all over, you know, things like underground lines, um, overground lines um, to make kind of to score political points. I mean, and one of the reasons for that is that, of course, you know, if there's a Tory successor one day to Sadiq Khan, they could rename um, all these lines after, you know, great victors in... Britain, british military campaigns or the kings and queens of england which used to be the convention um so it's it just, kind just to spell like- out sadiq
0: khan is a prick across all all six how many <laughs> words is that sadiq khan is a prick okay you need one more line an effing prick and that could be the six lines that's quite creative
1: <laughs> but like um there are some parts of our lives that we don't want to be infected by partisan political point scoring um, it's just so cheap um, and unnecessary to, um, you know, uh, uh, come up with these woke names for underground lines. It's like, you know, leave us alone. There must be some part of our lives which are, you know, commonly shared, which we, we can forget about, you know, our political differences um, and come together as a people. We don't want to be constantly told that, you know, everything, you know, even down to the train line we're traveling on is kind of tainted by which side you're on in the culture war and it, 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 i guess we, we, we also should should you know, the, the people on on Sadiq khan's side are always you know criticizing people like us for waging these culture war battles and then they go and do something like this i mean yeah. what could be more designed to stoke the culture war than to name tube lines after under overground lines after the suffragettes you know um, uh, the lionesses. I mean, the lionesses. Okay, they did well in the Euros. They've never won a World Cup. Um, the the men's team have. You know, don't they get any recognition?
0: Right. Great point. Yeah. When? Well, yeah, the men's team. Yeah, nineteen sixty six line. Where's that exactly? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look. Toby, yeah, they always gaslight. Of course, they know they they're fighting culture wars. They snigger behind closed doors at like, oh, look, we're waging a secret culture war and saying it's them. I'm sure. But yeah, look. If you think about the existing lines, at least on the tube, this is the overground. When you think about the tube, right, you've got Central Line, Piccadilly, Victoria, Northern. These are just very generic directional. You know, this one's north, goes to the north side of London. So it's Northern. Piccadilly goes past Piccadilly. So you've got you know the Circle Line, Hammersmith and City, Kings Cross. These are all very simple. But then you've got. I like that one. Yeah, yeah. then you've is got, it? if you think about it, you've got the, you do have the, now the Elizabeth line, obviously because of Queen Elizabeth II. I suppose you've got the Jubilee line, presumably related to the Jubilee, but
1: mm. that's
0: about as political as it gets, which is the absolute most generic, you know, the Queen. Even mm. that, of course, mm. is controversial for some really lefty people. But as you say, they're not political, except in the absolute most sort of minuscule possible way of it that they acknowledge mm. the Queen, which is barely even a political statement. So you're right. So this is sort of unprecedented as far as I know and especially i mean it is bizarre that have the AIDS one in there the suffragettes and i know the suffragettes are thought to be this uncontroversially good thing but of course that depends on how you feel about feminism and how you feel about their methods and uh, i would question them but i suppose well there were plenty
1: rushed- of well, yeah, i think i think you can be you know in favor of women's suffrage without being in favor of the suffragettes um who were you know um lawbreakers uh, they went beyond civil disobedience um and uh Uh, You know, there were plenty of people who supported women's suffrage at that time who didn't have any sympathy with the tactics of the suffragettes, like some people who support, you know, Net Zero, but don't support Extinction Rebellion or Just Stop Oil. It's like Sadiq Khan signaling that um, JSO and XR have his complete support. He's in favour of, you know, um, uh, breaking the law in order to bring about your political objectives. You can't do it through the ballot box.
0: Yeah, and it's a bit odd that one of them jumped in front of a horse, which, of course, was the mode of transport at the time. So, you, you know, do you really want to encourage that when you've got a line? What if mm. people start jumping in front of the suffragette line and tribute? not saying it'll happen, so, but it could happen. This is <laughs> the kind happen. of thing that woke has <laughs> gone mad. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But Windrush people are fa- fairly affectionate about there was the then there was the recent Windrush scandal which makes it kind of more controversial and political the Theresa May one the original one is fairly it's fairly anodyne I don't know if people are going to get too worked up about Weaver but yeah it's the whole thing and especially the yeah I I suppose no one wants anyone to die of AIDS either but it's just like it's just so it's just so perfectly lefty and political isn't it and just trying to represent everyone okay we've got women we've got I suppose gay people we've got immigrants via Windrush we've got text I mean Where's the sort of, where's the working class average man line? (laughs) What line do they, there's no, what about Churchill line or a sort of, you know what I mean? Or
1: what can, what could we have as a line line. to represent us? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A Falklands line. Uh, Falklands line.
0: Thatcher line. Yeah. There's loads (laughs) of good ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Thatcher line. What else could we have? I mean, what line people can write in and tell us what line would represent them. Gammon line. Mm. Would be a nice one.
1: That's what maybe 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 Sadiq Khan, in his defence, would say. Um, what about Boris bikes? You know, um, uh, he, he he was claiming credit for a public amenity connected to transport. Were well, they officially um, called he Boris branded bikes? That. I don't. I'm not sure they were actually, but he certainly claimed credit for them. And apparently, uh, uh, the the person who deserved the real credit was Ken Livingstone. But yeah, somehow he managed to brand them Boris bikes. But I don't think. Yeah, I don't think it was actually ever really part of the official branding. So you're right. Um,
0: I am right. They were called Santander Cycles or something. They were not called uh, Boris bikes officially. They were colloquially known as Boris bikes. So yeah, it's not the same. Is what would be equivalent is literally calling one of these the Boris line. And someone said, I'm surprised he hasn't got the Sadiq line in there. He must have been yeah. tempting. But he's basically got he six Sadiq tempted. lines. Yeah. Is is Sadiq Khan the ultimate evil? Is he just? Is he just? Well, let's find out. Let's ask more about Sadiq Khan. I mean, because we've got two more spin-offs Sadiq Khan stories. One of them is that he's blocked, and this is perfect, since we were just talking about the Queen. He's blocked a statue of our beloved Queen Elizabeth II in Trafalgar Square until 2030. He's effectively blocked it because he's commissioned woke art to go there instead. So he signed off on the empty fourth plinth where campaigners hope to erect the statue of the beloved late monarch for woke art until the end of the decade. The first piece to go up for six months will be a fixture of 850 faces of trans people who were mostly sex workers. You can't make that up. I mean, that's that's just that's beyond parody. No, we can't have the queen. We've got to have eight hundred and fifty dead trans. Are they dead? I don't know. Trans sex workers. I mean, it couldn't get more, it couldn't get more absurd. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's, We've uh, kept
0: this out of peak woke because it's such a big story, but that's as peak woke as it gets.
1: It is, yeah. Um, and you would you would have thought that at some point Londoners, even if they're inclined to vote Labour, even if they voted for Sadiq Khan. Would balk at this kind of politicization of all these public spaces, uh, particularly the kind of sl- the, the snub he's he's delivered to the beloved late queen. Um, uh, yeah, he really is a ghastly, horrible little man, isn't he?
0: I mean, well, we shouldn't say little too because people attack attack you for high, but he certainly he certainly seems to be. Can, can you call someone pure evil? Or is that defamation? Um, I mean, I'm and sure it does if, beg the if, question: if, if, if,
1: Do you think you think? Wait a minute, Satirically, if you can call you him can pure call evil, him. I can, surely I can call him little.
0: Uh, no, because I, I just thought we should attack his height, but you might not have meant height, you might have meant oh, his character, you might have meant his...
1: I meant, I meant yeah, I meant he was a, s- a small man, metaphorically. I just meant you were opening
0: the door for people to call you a fetus or something again, you know, and I didn't want oh, that okay. to happen to you. But look, I mean, yeah, certainly, I think objectively, it seems that he is the ultimate evil, but it does beg the question as well, What is the Queen equivalent to 850 trans sex workers? You know, is that... The ratio, like one statue of the queen versus eight hundred and fifty. I'd say it's probably uh, how are they
1: gonna, still off. How are they going to get eight hundred and fifty? Well, How's it going to work exactly? Is it going to be one statue with a changing face, or is it's it going to be eight hundred and uh, yeah, fifty question. statues?
0: Yeah, good question. I don't, it's not eight hundred and fifty statues, is it? Surely, isn't it just no, loads of faces be. on a probably, big, yeah. some sort of projected on the screen? Yeah mural of dead sex workers. Are they dead? I keep saying they're dead. I have no idea. Maybe they're not. Um,
1: yeah, maybe, they, maybe they'll be plying their wares on this kind of big screen. Oh, like the life masks. Window. I knew I'd seen this.
0: So they're, they're all like life masks. I don't know if the uh, viewer can see it, but they're all a, a lot of masks. Maybe we can drop this in in post-production. Probably not. But it's Teresa Margol's Mar, Impruntus features casts of the faces of 850 trans people from London and around the world. So... I don't know, it's a skull rack. It's, it's based on a skull rack from Meso- Mesoamerican civilizations. So it's even more woke because the, the structure <laughs> of it or the, the concept is based on a, a so called skull rack. So we've got a skull rack of 850 trans sex workers. It's in place of our bloody queen. I mean, could you be any more conquered? I mean, that's just, <laughs> I'm laughing at this. It's so disgusting and absurd. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. It's, Mesopotamian it's, it's, dead tra- trans skulls. It's, it's, Where the queen should be. Yeah,
1: this is Khan rubbing our faces in it, isn't it? It's like saying, "I am the victor. Bow down and um, worship me. Know your place." Um, uh, uh, It's just, yeah, it it, it couldn't be more vindictive or spiteful or kind of. uh, uh, It's it's like it's it's like the kind of worst kind. Of kind of cheap culture war politics, exactly the kind of thing they accuse the Tories of doing.
0: Yeah, and it's he's rubbing our skulls in the skull rack. And there's a picture here of the artist wearing a mask. Inevitably, she's Mexican as well. You know, not there's anything wrong with that, but you know, not British. So it's a it's a it's a foreign artist with a 850 trans sex workers in a skull rack inspired by Mesoamerican. I guess that's where the Mexican part comes in. I mean. I, I I can't really say anything else. I'm I'm speechless. <laughs> this is peak. That is, that's
1: the, yeah. That, that's the, you, that. will I don't think we could ever top that. That is like that's the <laughs> ultimate peak work, isn't it?
0: <laughs> uh, and then he said one. There was one other sleep Car story this week, which is this anti-Semitic slip that he did. He said, um, a party like yeah. mine that is proud to be both anti-racist and also, but also anti-Semitic. And then the guy wrapped up and went, well, thank you, Sleek Khan. Blah blah. He went uh, ta- tackling anti semitism Tackling anti Semitism. <laughs> So he just he got carried away with his because it was quite alliterative. Anti-racist and anti-Semitic. That's Labour Party, and he absolutely nailed it. That is what the Labour Party is. They they believe in the <laughs> doctrine of anti-racism, aka hating white yeah. people, and they believe in anti-Semitism.
1: Yeah, and and the, and the the Labour's attempt at damage control was to point out that when the Tories. Reproduce this clip. They left out the bit at the end in which Sadiq comes, oh, I mean, I mean, opposed to anti-Semitism, uh, campaigning against anti-Semitism. And it's like, well, yeah, but you still made a terrible gaffe, even if they did leave out your attempt to correct it. You know, it doesn't take away from the fact that you made this, you know, you said the quiet part out loud, like it or not.
0: Well, that was the tweet. So the Conservative Twitter page, which kind of goes off piece quite a lot, doesn't it? You could sort of wonder who's running it. You sent it to someone young and they've just said to them, just try and save our party. And you get some absolutely bonkers posts, ex posts out of them. Yeah. And they shared this with the, with the caption, Sadiq Khan says the quiet part out loud. And that was a bit sneaky because you could argue because he didn't, he wasn't confessing. He was just making a mistake. But he was, in another sense, it was a Freudian slip because that is what they are. So I don't know. Did you, so you thought that was exactly, eth- they got really slammed for that tweet. But did you think yeah, it was, I, or ex post, did you think it was ethically sound or not?
1: Yeah. I, I, well, I, I think um, the fact that it, um, Sailed quite close to the wind um, I think is is premeditated um, they put out these tweets and they attach these controversial captions or whatever and um, and that provokes controversy and creates a row it means that it then gets talked about on you know lBC talk TV GB news columnists weigh in in the papers we talk about it on um, the weekly sceptic, and it gives the gaff, you know, much more airplay than it would otherwise get. So I think it's deliberate. It's a way of amplifying the other side when they're making a mistake.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I think it's not exactly the caption I'd have gone for, but I think it's fair game. Then there was all this weird kind of debate about they edited, it was an edited clip or it was an edited piece, like, as if they kind of gone in and kind of, it was like a deep fake and really they have just taken the bit off the end. I mean, that's a pretty normal thing to do in a clip. It's not exactly heavily yeah. edited, is it?
1: No, you don't need an AI to remove <laughs> the bit when <laughs> you oh, said No, no, I didn't mean that. I meant something else. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any child could edit that bit out because he, yeah, it, it was, I mean, at least it was funny that he realized in time, but they he only realized after they were ending the segment as well, which is beautiful as well. I mean, I'd have even been, if I'd have done the clip, I'd have been tempted to even leave in the bit where the guy tries, starts to wrap up because that makes it look even more like he's ended the statement. Thank you, Sadiq Khan. Yeah. That is your official view. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it's only after that he goes, attack the Alex. Anyway, anyone can make a gaffe. But it's just funny that he revealed what we all know about Labour already, and um, which is that that's what they are. Can we say that's what they are? Is that defamation, Toby? You need to tell me these things because I'm going to well, get stuff in all sorts uh, yeah, of trouble again.
1: It's, I, yeah, it would I appear to some... Cor- corporate corporate defamation, which would be defaming a political party, is, um, as I understand it, It's um, you're on much safer ground.
0: Okay. Well, satirically, it could be, appear to some that Labour have had some issues with Accusations of anti Semitism. <laughs> Did that rescue me? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Fair, yeah. um, all right, shall I quickly do our second advert? We have quite a few adverts today. Thank you very much for everyone yes. for the support. So this one comes from the Live in Care Company who say Are you worried about parents or a loved one who are finding it more and more difficult to take care of themselves or who may be living with a condition such as dementia or Parkinson's? Are you starting to think about a residential care home, but the very thought doesn't sit right? At The Living Care Company, we truly believe that home is the best place to receive care from an expert carer of your choice and on a one-to-one basis. Home is always a more calm, healthy and happier place to be. So for more information about Living Care, please go to thelivingcarecompany.co.uk or call them for a no-obligation conversation on 0118 914 5300 and they'll be happy to help. That is 0118 914 5300 or email the uk, and thank you very much to them for sponsoring. So Toby let's see we have got a bit of time on the free content. Should we do this uh Navalny story or should or should we do Pete work? What do you think?
1: Let's let's do the Navalny story and then get okay. Pete work.
0: We're giving you so much free content guys. We we're, we're, we're being so nice here to all the free because we do appreciate you coming on this journey with us. But, we, but anyway, well let's do the uh So, guess
1: some some people listening to this will be premium subscribers as well, watching this. So, we ought to say thank you to them in particular for becoming premium subscribers. Yeah, thank you to them even more. They will get to even more, and they will get to listen or to watch um, the remainder of the podcast, the premium content, which we tag on at the end. I think it's going to be at least half an hour today.
0: Oh, yeah, we're going to do loads of stuff. We've got Trump trainers, we've got uh, X Files, we've got loads of stuff. But let's just quickly do Navalny then, who. Was, well, he was sadly died, and it was it was a bit suspicious because he was fine he was he was in good humor people said then one day he was he was just suddenly felt ill, walking around the prison, and then that was it. Very suspicious, of course, no one officially knows what it last I checked and we, we, it's going to be very hard to know about that exactly what happened, but there's also this sort of dialogue around it and the controversy of Tucker I mean people are trying to blame Tucker Carlson now for everything. But he did have a few unfortunate things. He'd just done this piece in Russia where he's going grocery shopping and he's finding that things are cheaper in Russia. And he's going, this is so cheap. I can't believe this would cost $400 in the US, but it costs 100 here. I mean, it makes, it's radicalizing me. And people are just pointing out, well, yeah, but you earn a lot less in Russia, so that's not particularly relevant. And, you know, he's, he's talking about how nice the city is and, the, and, and people have seen this. I mean, my friend Callum did a piece on Russia and you see the, the train stations are very nice and the you know, it maintains a certain grandeur that we've lost with some of our brutalist artwork and the architecture. So, but Tucker was talking about the grocery shopping, and he'd also put out this video before Navalny died, but he, where he said that leadership requires killing people. Now, people have taken offense to this. It was in an interview, but really, to me, that was just completely reasonable what he was saying. It was a point... Because leadership requires killing people. That's one reason I wouldn't want to do it. He, he adds, that's a reason I wouldn't want to do it. So if you want to go full context, we're just speaking about clips in their full context. He says, that's why I wouldn't want to do it. But he says, my leader kills people. All leaders kill people. And that is pretty much incontrovertible. I mean, all leaders kill. It, it, context is a thing. They may kill with a drone strike or in a war context rather than poison a guy, but they still do kill people. And it's a responsibility of leadership. What do you think, yeah. Toby?
1: Well, I that that only works as a defence of putin if you allied um killing people with murdering them i mean yes um most leaders um authorise um uh killing uh, of one kind or another most i think in a in a lawful way um but this uh, what 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 um seemingly you know was done to navalny on Putin's orders was outright murder, political assassination. Um, And uh, that seems to be different to anything Biden might be guilty of, maybe not, you know, the leader of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Um, But um, certainly, I don't know of any comparable um, uh, episode in Biden's presidency. This is pretty, this is a, this is another order of magnitude Um, and um, pretty, pretty kind of despicable. Um, You know, he was, he was uh, the opposition leader with the most gravitas. Um, He'd been imprisoned um, on trumped up charges, held in solitary confinement um, and eventually murdered. Um, seemingly on Putin's orders um it shows just I think um it, it was sort of um, unfortunate I think for 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 Tucker um, that it happened so soon um, after the interview um uh, it was as though it, it just made it seem I mean I, I don't think you know um, uh, tucker was trying to kind of apologize for Putin um but he 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 his failure to kind of um, challenge him, and um, uh, the fact that he allowed him to present as you know just another statesman, just another political leader, um, uh, and didn't kind of tease out just how monstrous and what a tyrant he is. Um, you know, this this bring, I think this brings home to everyone that that Putin really is um, like one of the kind of twentieth century dictators of old. Um, he has no qualms about murdering his political opponents. And um, and and it's as though the kind of mask he tried to wear in the uh, Tucker interview, which Tucker did little to try and pull off, um, has now kind of fallen away. And we see this kind of hideous gargoyle beneath.
0: Well, yeah, I, I'm not sure he really wore a mask in the interview, or if we ever didn't know what he was. Yeah, Tucker could have done better in the interview, but he has said he doesn't like Putin. But he's just being realistic that all leaders have to kill people. Yeah, what thing? One people have even I've seen some people even suggest that Putin's interview itself was part of this, has somehow caused this, or is causally related to this killing, which seems pretty ludicrous. Especially because Navalny's been, I think, there's been attempts like this before, and he's already in. A prison in the arctic circle i mean you know it's not as if this persecution of navalny is new as you know people thought he was in this kind of danger for a long time so i find that very questionable but yes it, it, the timing is is strange um now speaking of trumped up charges trump compared it of course to himself he said the sudden death of alexei navalny has made me more and more aware of what is happening in our country it is a slow steady progression with crooked radical left politicians prosecutors and judges leading us down a path to destruction so you know is he suggesting that that you know his, his treatment is a bit like Navalny? it does sound like like that i mean it, you know and the, hmm. they are going a different route what they're they're going down the route of such absurd penalties on trump amounting to around 400 million last i checked with all these absurd uh judgments i mean there was a babylon b so yeah in 354.9 million he's just been fined and with interest, another cost that will get to more than four hundred and fifty. And then there's the Eugene Carroll, which is eighty-three point three million. So they are just completely finding him into oblivion, and doing everything they can. I mean, it's a different method, but I can see where Trump's coming from a little bit. Whereas Biden, on the other hand, uses to try and drum up more funding for Ukraine. There's this ninety-five billion dollar aid package that includes funds for Ukraine. But Mike Johnson, the House Speaker, is refusing to bring it up for a vote. Is demanding a meeting with Biden. So Biden's used this to try and say, look, we need to win this war and we need to do more to attack Putin. And, um, of course, the cons- Republicans are a bit sick of all this kind of stuff because they've had the neocon era of Bush Jr. and Cheney, and they're now more isolationists. And what I've never really heard is, th- is the Democrats making the case to the average American and to the Republicans and saying, look, you know, we're in this new world order. If Russia sides with China and then Iran's in there somewhere, that's not going to lead to more prosperity, freedom or safety for the average American. But I never heard that case. You could make that case, you know, but I don't hear that case made. I just heard them. I hear them called MAGA semi-fascist and stuff like that. I mean, why would you want to if you're an American looking at this war, why would you really want to fund it? If, you, if you're just an ordinary American and you've had enough of all the American foreign wars, I think that I can see that. But only, do you really think the case has been made, properly to the, to the American citizen of why they should be funding Ukraine? And do you think Trump is like Navalny?
1: Yeah, I, I, I can't really, I mean, I can see why Trump um, would argue that he is the victim of um, a, a vindictive political victor um, who is 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 taking advantage of the levers at his disposal to try and eliminate him as an opponent. But, you know, um, uh, there's still... A big gap between um, Putin's treatment of Navalny and Biden's treatment of Trump. I think uh, more likely, uh, and also I think you know, Trump has sort of complained and claimed that this is a you know um, outside you know uh, the, the, the 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 conventional normal political behavior. If you win an election, you're not supposed to try and persecute the loser through the courts and bankrupt them, go after them in the way that Democrats seemingly have gone after Trump. Um, but you don't get the impression for a second that if Trump wins, he'll hesitate about using what powers he has as you know the president to persecute, go after his political opponents, including Biden. Um, so, um It's quite, he sort of tries to want to take the high ground. And that's sort of what he's doing in part by comparing himself to Navalny. You know, this is just an illegitimate abuse of the political process that Biden's engaging in here, just like Putin in Russia. But, you know, um, it's not very credible because you know that Trump would probably behave even worse in the White House than putin than um biden and his allies are behaving now well um, can
0: i just answer that i mean what oh, one, one thing on that is he didn't react worse last time he was very soft once he got in maybe this time having been through all this he would be harsher one hopes he would go scorched earth and and then and, and you could also argue that is just i'm pretty sure it's elite theory that suggests that that really power is just about whoever the people are in power you know whatever whoever gets in power they just behave the same way and they don't you know Lenin or whoever it is—they have these ideals. When you get in power, you always just behave the same, and, and it's always dictated by who is in power. I'm, 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 I'm badly fudging this because I'm just half remembering it—a a theoretical position. But I think, I think Trump should do that if he gets in. I think that's what he should do. I mean, that's he, at this point he should come in, go full dictator, and get them all, get them all back. But anyway, that's a whole other, that's a whole other debate. But well, he says, you... yeah. He, he,
1: he, he, the, tr- the the truth is, Trump seems to kind of. Um, his position is slightly incoherent. And he sort of oscillates between whatever suits him to say at the time. So on the one hand, he tries to take the moral high ground and criticize Biden for breaching these political norms by using the courts to try and punish him. Um, But on the other hand, he then says, I'll be a dictator if you elect me and, uh, and, and makes no bones about the fact that he will Try and wreak revenge on all of these people who've tortured him, um, uh, and so it's sort of yeah he he sort of, also, he sort of seems to kind of kind of switch uh, kind of like like someone weaving all over the highway um, between taking the high ground and going low.
0: Yeah, but I one last thing I'd like to add is is that I, I'm not sh- I mean the January six prisoners pretty, that's a pretty bad thing. Is it the same as Navalny? Maybe not, but there was a guy who was hit with such ludicrous charges. His charges were elevated, were sort of escalated to the point where he was suddenly going to face, from a fairly minor charge, he was suddenly going to face nine years and he killed himself. I mean, how different is that? I mean, it's not exactly the same as Navalny, but it is political intimidation of citizens who haven't really done very much to the point where they feel compelled to take their own life. And then there's the other ones who have just languished in prison for ages without trials and in solitary confinement and so on. I mean, the, January 6th, the treatment of January 6th people has been an absolute scandal, surely.
1: No, it has been. It has been scandalous, Um, but still not quite as scandalous as Putin's murder of Navalny. There was an interesting um, postscript to this story. One of the things that um, Putin said, I think we discussed it last week in his interview with Carlson, which Carlson didn't challenge him on, was um, Putin said that uh, the Kremlin had never threatened uh, the West or Ukraine um, with a nuclear strike, a first strike. Um, And uh, only this week, um, uh, uh, Dmitry Medvedev, who uh, is a close Putin ally and who was the president between 2008 and 2012, and when he speaks is uh, generally regarded as speaking for the Kremlin, um, he kind of unleashed this barrage of threats a couple of days ago, in which he said that um, if Russia is forced to return, to the borders it had in 1991, following the collapse of the Soviet Union, um, it would unleash uh, a thermonuclear Armageddon on the world. He said, "Attempts to return Russia to the borders of 1991 will lead to only one thing: towards a global war with Western countries using the entire strategic arsenal of our state in Kiev, Berlin, London, Washington." So. Um, I it just seems it, it, It's sort of so odd that um, Putin can kind of maintain, try and maintain this facade that he is this reasonable statesman like leader. And then the very next week, murder his kind of leading political opponent and um, threaten the West again um, with kind of nuclear arm again if they don't withdraw from Kiev.
0: Yeah, but he knows a lot about history and he's anti-woke. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, it's it is a bit absurd. <laughs> Yeah, I'll give you that one. Um, okay, well, that is an avalli story. We didn't have too much time for it, but we, we've covered the main points. So, Toby, would you like to read our third ad before we do everyone's favourite section?
1: Yes. So, um, this is an ad from our beloved producer, uh, Jason, um, and uh, we call him the Podfather. So, here's an ad from the Podfather. Ever imagined launching your own podcast or elevating an existing one to unprecedented heights? Introducing Podscapers, the architects behind celebrated shows like The Weekly Skeptic and The Current Thing. Boasting over 30 years of audio-visual mastery and two decades in podcasting, Podscapers transcends the typical partnership. They're the foundation upon which podcasting success is built. Led by Jason, the team at Podscapers navigates the intricate podcasting landscape with precision, ensuring your show stands out in a saturated market. They provide end-to-end support from choosing the ideal hosting platform to refining your production to crystal clear quality. Their expertise empowers you to focus on what truly matters, captivating your audience with your own unique voice. Podscaper's distinction lies in their unwavering commitment to nurturing relationships, deeply understanding your vision and materializing it into an audible reality. They're adept at steering podcasters through the intricacies of growth and monetization, devising strategies that harmonize with your brand's essence. Whether you're at the dawn of your podcasting adventure or seeking to propel your existing show to new heights, Podscapers has got you covered. Their dedication has been pivotal to us, illustrating that with the right partnership, achieving the zenith of podcasting success is within reach. Embark on your podcasting journey with Podscapers. Visit Podscapers.com to connect with Jason and his team. Let them elevate your podcast from a mere concept to a resounding success story. With Podscapers, your podcasting aspirations are not just achievable, they're inevitable. And I guess uh, we can give Jason a big thumbs up, can't we, Nick? He's been an excellent producer of this show. Um, never complains, um, extremely professional, extremely conscientious, uh, does everything on time and to a very high standard. So big endorsement from us for podscapers.com.
0: Yeah, I have to say, Jason has been incredibly reliable and just a great guy as well. So definitely work with Jason. And uh, my only criticism is his, his advert should be a bit longer. But other than that, <laughs> yeah, Jason's absolutely great. So definitely work with, with him. Top, top recommendation from the Weekly Skeptic. And he's helped us get to whatever we get to. What is it? 1.4 million downloads or something crazy. So yeah, absolutely. And well, uh, the,
1: yeah. The, only, the only non-woke podcast to break into the top five in Apple's British Politics podcast chart.
0: There you go. Partly, largely thanks to Jason, actually. He's done most of it. The rest is me and a tiny bit, Toby. Um, all right. Well, now let's go to everyone's favorite section, which is Peak Woke. So Toby, Pete, work this week. I've got so many, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, you've got quite a few as well. Shall I just start with one here? Michelangelo's creation of man is dubbed the symbol of white supremacy. So Robin DiAngelo, this the author of uh, White Fragility, I'm sure you're familiar with this unfortunate lady. And she, she looked at this uh, creation of man, which is also known as the creation of Adam, because actually that's its real title, Adamo, originally. But she looked at it and said... Um, Oh, you know, the one where God is in a cloud and there's all these angels and he's reaching out and he's touching. I don't know who that is, David or something. It's like, no, it's Adam. It's in the name. Uh, And God is white and David's white and the angels are white. That's the perfect convergence of white supremacy and patriarchy. Right. It's like it's the the philistinism of the woke. I mean, absolutely stunning. Now they want to destroy our, our all the great art, not just our art, but Europe's art. And the, and call it patriarchal and white supremacy because God's white and Adam's yeah. white. I mean,
1: and presumably she she wants to replace it with something like a mural depicting She Hulk attorney at law, or yeah, know, or, or eight hundred and
0: fifty trans skulls. <laughs> You think? Like, by the way, why is trans? I've just thought, why is that a celebration of trans? If I said, "Guys, there's 850 trans skulls here, most of them were sex workers," you'd be like, "Nick, if you killed 850 trans sex workers and <laughs> piled their skulls up," I was like, "Well, yeah." I mean, when I hear 850 trans skulls, I don't know why I didn't say this earlier. Don't you think that sounds like a mass slaughter?
1: It does. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a celebration of trans sex workers, does it? Um, uh, but what's so funny about you know robin d'angelo um attacking michelangelo in the sistine chapel is um you know what 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 kind of what 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 do they want to substitute it with you know what's their woke cultural alternative you know they don't have any kind of cultural hinterland they don't what what genius artists can they point to in their column as if to say join our team you know we have better art than your team it's like you know you, you think there'd be some degree of self awareness i mean at some point you know canceling people like michelangelo it's got a dawn on them isn't particularly smart i mean how many more geniuses do you want to kind of uh, you know consign to our team it's not doing your cause a huge amount of good, you know. Who have we got now? We've got Shakespeare. Now Michelangelo. Um, you know uh, Darwin. Um, presumably, will, will shortly be cancelled. We've got Roldal, Ian, Ian Fleming. Um, I think uh, Jane Austen was attacked yeah. the other day. We've got Chaucer. Um, uh, I don't need to I check. Think, I think yeah, Chaucer. Yeah. Um, uh, it's like, um, but they know, don't care about art. They,
0: they're ideologues. They care about uh, ideology. They don't care about art, do they?
1: Well, that's pretty clear. Yeah.
0: Go on, Tal, would you um, want to do one? We've got so many that smash. Yeah, okay.
1: We? So, uh, yeah, so uh, you know, so there was a um, uh, great headline in the Telegraph Women in Armed Forces Feel Unsafe after Grant Shapp's comments. So, um, according to the, the Telegraph, women in the Armed Forces have been made to feel unsafe in the wake of the Defense Secretary's comments over the diversity row engulfing the military. So, Grant Chaps warned that a woken extremist culture had uh, infiltrated the British Army after it was revealed that um, the army were considering ways to relax checks uh, on foreigners applying to join the army, including in the intelligence corps, in order to meet their diversity quotas. And he said he wanted to put an end to this approach and um, introduce some common sense into. The armed forces and dispense with this woke gobbledygook. And as a response, uh, women serving in the British Army have said that uh, uh, if, if, if this approach is going to be adopted, they'll feel unsafe. And it's like, wait a minute, you're supposed to be um, facing down our enemies. You know, we're supposed to be relying on you to face down you know, Putin's special forces when they try and invade Sweden and you're called up as part of the NATO Defense Force, you're supposed to be proving to us that you're every bit as deadly and as scary to the enemies massing at our borders as, as you know, men would be white working class men. And yet here you are saying that a few minor political points scored by Grant Shapps have made you feel unsafe. It's like, if that makes you feel unsafe, you're not going to be much good guarding the wall, are you? I mean, it's, uh, it's just ludicrous. Um, uh, uh, but one thought did occur to me, which a point, I, I have esprit d'escalier about last week, Nick, um, which is, you um, we were talking about the kind of wokeification of the British Army and if they're now just recruiting kind of pink haired, um, you know, trans sex workers with kind of lots of piercings, you know, instead of, you know, um, uh, white working class Millwall supporters to kind of be the backbone of the British army. You know, that's it. Game over. We might as well just, you know, roll out the red carpet for Putin and um, the Chinese. Uh, Actually thinking about it, um, the, the, the kind of woke women, as, as is indicated by their response to Grant Chaps's fairly mild remarks, they're full of rage, aren't they? They're incredibly angry and they're unbelievably vicious. You know, they don't hesitate to pile on. They don't hesitate to try and cancel someone, rob them of their livelihood if they make the slightest ideological infraction. They're, they, 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 you know, they get worked up about men who don't kind of applaud women's football. I mean, they're angry about so many things. They're full of rage. They're vicious. Actually, maybe, maybe they might make pretty good soldiers. Um, you know, maybe they should be guarding the war. I mean, you know, um, maybe they're actually even more vicious and deadly and ruthless and angry than your average Millwall supporter. So maybe we should think twice about this uh, wokeification of the armed forces being a bad thing. Maybe they're just the people we need to keep us keep us safe at night.
0: It's a good argument. They are physically weak, of course, and ineffective. So probably they'll have to end up being the people behind the scenes making the decisions, just ruthlessly sending people in. But then you've got woke people sending in, men to their death so i don't i don't like that either yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure they could be used i suppose they could be used as sort of torturers because they just have no empathy and they're evil so you could use them for like interrogations
1: maybe yeah about like drone operators know, yeah, no 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 right. risk that they'll hesitate because there's you know um a woman kind of uh, uh breastfeeding a baby um uh next to the terrorist leader yeah they'll just they'll just pull the trigger
0: yeah that's um, incredibly dark what about this one <laughs> cathedral apologizes as transgender activists eulogize at funeral as mother of all whores this took place at St. Patrick's in Manhattan this sacrilegious funeral where mourners clad in fishnet stockings and miniskirts danced in the aisles and they were praising this uh, sex worker speaking of trans sex workers I think this was one of the, the skulls that ended up in that artwork um, this, was, this person had, <laughs> was called the mother of all whores and people were like how can this take place in a, in a Catholic cathedral, and this, of course, comes after Canterbury Cathedral had the silent disco. So it's just a continued desecration yeah. of Christianity. The difference here is that they didn't seem to know this was taking place, and they weren't funding it. They were horrified as well, I believe.
1: Yeah, it's like uh, we're going to see. It's like you know, the the, 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 the the Catholic diocese in New York said, "We're going to see your silent disco and raise you." Um, <laughs> the a the a funeral for the mother of all whores. Yeah, it's uh, uh, which reminds me of another Pete woke Nick last week. Um, uh, or maybe it was earlier. It was trans, like uh, an NHS trust uh, claims that um, uh, natural breast milk um, uh, is actually um, uh, no better for babies than trans women's milk. Um, so, um, uh, in a letter to campaigners, the University of Sussex, it would be the University of Sussex Hospitals NHS Trust, said that milk produced by trans women, after ta- that is men, after taking a combination of drugs is, quote, comparable to that produced following the birth of a baby. So, they're claiming, and this doesn't sound like it's going to hold up to much scientific scrutiny, that if you pump men full of enough drugs they can actually produce some kind of milk from their male breasts that is every bit as good for newborns as mother's milk. Um, it's just amazing. Extraordinary, isn't it? Wow.
0: That is incredible. And that kind of reminds me of a, another one I have, only vaguely, which is unions criticised demeaning gift bag for menopausal staff at Avanti West Coast. Now, I'm not sure if the peak woke here is the bag itself or the protest against the bag. But this was a bag actually designed, it turns out, by menopausal women, for menopausal women. And it was just a bit of fun, really, sort of fun encouragement. It included a fan for hot sweats, a jelly baby suite in case you feel like biting someone's head off, a tissue if you're feeling a bit emotional, and a paperclip to help you keep it all together. So it was just a kind of, it was like, it's been called an insulting gimmick. But I think this was actually just, just menopausal women trying to put, I'm going to be really woke here myself and say, this was just menopausal women trying to put the issue on the map. And they were just saying, hey, these are, the, these are some fun items to make you think about it. But this union has, uh, has, has now said, no, no, it's appalling. The Transport Salaried Staffs Association said the pack was appalling, demeaning, and dismissive, and it added women deserve informed support and respect from their employers, not belittlement, even though this was designed by menopausal women. And I just think at least they're getting the issue on the map. If it was a, if it was a bag for white men, they'd just say, stick the bag over your head, because, uh, you know, and off yourself, because that's what they think of us. So I think so they're getting much better treatment than us, but this is still an insulting gimmick. What do you think, Toby?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's like it's like it's like uh, they're easily insulted, is what I think. Um, well, <laughs> they, should, awesome. they should try walking in. Our, they should try walking in harsh shoes for a week. Um, uh, did you see uh, the um, Scots? Um, there's been a, a row in Scotland. Um, which is the Redcoat Cafe, which is the name of the cafe in Edinburgh Castle, should, according to the uh, SNP, be renamed. And they've started a campaign. Um, and in their campaign literature, they say the Redcoats played a significant role in subjugating Scotland. And suppressing its peoples during periods of history marked by conflict and strife. Um, uh, it's like, uh, no, the Redcoats is um, a um, synonym for um, the uh, British Army during the colonial era, um, uh, because they wore red coats, so they could be seen more easily by people on their own side, so they wouldn't shoot them with muskets. Um, uh, but the backbone of the British Army. During you know the pomp of the British Empire were the Scottish regiments. I mean, they wore their red coats with pride, um, and they were some of the most ferocious fighters, some of the bravest, most indomitable battalions. Um, so the notion that uh, it's just the English that the name redcoats is associated with is typical of the kind of uh, um, distortion of history engaged in by these. Uh, ghastly ethno nationalists north of the border.
0: OK, well, speaking of redcoats, maybe I'll chuck this one in here. Labour vows to eliminate fox hunting. I'm sure people have seen that Shadow Environment Secretary Steve Reed has promised to close loopholes in this hunting act, which is already a Blair thing, the 2004 hunting act introduced by Blair's administration. We're still living in Blair's world. And we're now in this sort of decaying country we're in a culture war we have immigration we have cost of living we have inflation we have every possible issue facing wars in russia and gaza and in you, you know um, in yemen now and all these guys kind of we've got everything's kicking off around the world and domestically and yet they want to bring back this ancient proto-culture war issue you could call it of hunt, fox hunting and attack people in the country attack the shire attack the good old English rural people, including, in a way, my people in the lakes, although the, the hunting's a bit less posh there, but they do hunt. And they want to attack hunting once again and kick this sort of just-about-twitching body of hunting into the dirt, Toby.
1: Yeah, I thought uh, there was um, a uh, typical kind of um, politics of um, class envy being um, uh, engaged in by Labour because it won't cost them anything. Um, uh, But there was quite a good comment by um, the uh, chief executive of the Countryside Alliance, which, of course, campaigned um, against the hunting ban. Um, And he said, "Um, it is utterly bizarre that Labour is still making hunting its priority in the countryside. Rural people are desperately concerned about affordable housing, access to services, agricultural transition, and thousands of other more important issues. Yet Labour wants to return to fight the culture war of 20 years ago. So that was quite a good line. It wants to fight the culture war of 20 years ago. It's like yeah. you had this battle. Um, you know, you you basically won, even though there is this loophole. Um, uh, why do you want to re this battle? Well, the answer is because they can't really afford to do... Anything else, and you know um, the politics of envy and class war. Uh, how Labour think they're going to shore up their base? Yeah,
0: and it's a little sign of what's to come with Labour. No real change, just just more restrictions on your life, annoying things, woke overground lines, fox hunting bans. That's the kind of low level social misery, as well as well as well as worse things. It's just going to be horrific yeah. on I mean, all it, fronts. Yeah,
1: all. I, that's absolutely right. I mean the the the, the Keir Starmer's kind of pitch is the Tories just want to engage in culture wars, whereas I care about real issues like the cost of living, uh, the state of the economy, um, schools, the NHS. Um, uh, But actually in office, the only thing they're going to do is engage in these kind of virtue signalling culture war gesture politics, and um, because they're not going to be able to do anything about those other More serious issues because you know the the Tories have tried pretty much everything, and there's only so much more money you can extract out of the British public to spend on public services. Um, You know we're being taxed uh, more highly than at any point before. Um, uh, Yeah, there's really no, there's there's not much wiggle room. So actually, all Labour are going to do is is wage culture war. Um, They're not actually going to do anything about the things that Starmer claims he's going to do anything about. They're going to be what Starmer pretends the Tories are now.
0: Absolutely, yeah. All right, couldn't put it better myself. So that is pretty much the show, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to probably go into the, well, probably, we're definitely going to go into the paid section now for the subscribers to basemedia.org. So uh, go over there and subscribe if you haven't yet. For as little as £5 a month, And we're going to have loads more shows coming up and loads more content. But you get in there now. Many people have. In fact, I've been impressed by the amount of subscribers we've already got. But let's face it, not that much promotion and you know a fairly soft launch. So, But thank you to everyone that subscribed. We're going to move over there in a sec. Uh, if you want to support me on my Substack, it's nitdixon.substack.com. If you want to buy me a coffee, it's buymeacoffee.com slash nitdixon or go to basemedia.org. I know we only, people only have limited funds to go around. Maybe we'll incorporate everything at one point. We're, we're doing our best. And Toby, is there anything you would like to plug?
1: Yeah, just to say this isn't the end of the podcast. This is just the end of the free bit Um, We're now going to move to the premium bit. Um, And if you want to hear the rest of it, in which we're going to talk about what's happening across the pond. We're going to talk about the X-Files. We've got some stuff from the based department, um, the opposite of Peak Woke, things that will actually cheer you up to hear about. Um, A few sound things happening here and there, which we've managed to find. Um, But if you want to hear about them, you have to subscribe. And as Nick says, uh, you can do that for as little as £5 a month. Then you won't just be able to watch or listen to the premium bit of this podcast, but of other podcasts, which will shortly appear on our platform. So basemedia.org, click on, sign up, subscribe for as little as £5 a month. Then if you want to support the Free Speech Union, go to freespeechunion.org slash join and the Daily Skeptic, just go to dailyskeptic.org, click on donate. And for as little as £5 a month, you can become a commentator and support all our work on the Daily Skeptic.
0: All right, excellent. I thought that was pretty well done. And yeah, basemedia.org, we'll see you over there. And to everyone else, stay sceptical.
1: Stay sceptical.